to the sides. We'll be looking at the whole chapter this morning. Um, But before we read, let's go and ask the Lord for His help. Lord, by Your Spirit, we ask that You would help us to understand this text this morning. Drive us closer to Jesus. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. We might respond in faith and be changed by Your grace. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Exodus chapter 5, hear now the word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go. They may hold a a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. For the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall still impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them, on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words." So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the, in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. You know, there are times in our lives when we bring hardship on ourselves. We make bad decisions, and as a result, there are consequences. They not only affect us, but also affect those whom we love and cherish. We've all made mistakes. We've all made big mistakes, if we're honest. 
with ourselves, with others. We've all messed up pretty badly. And we have seen what happens when we reap what we sow. Now, Christ has taken the, the guilt and the penalty for sin, but there are often still consequences in this life for our sins. And, and we've seen that work in our lives and those whom we love. But how do we deal with life when? We live a life of obedience. And we seek to do God's will. And we seek Him closely and we seek good counsel. And yet, trials and hardships still come. Life is generally hard. And and even when we walk in obedience, trials and hardships come. What happens when we do all in our power to deal with situations well and they fall apart anyway? What happens when, when we are seeking to do God's will in our lives and yet we see unbelievers who are living, well, they're living like hell. And then they, they seem to be doing well. They seem to be prospering. How do we deal with that tension? The reality is that God does not promise to give us stress-free, happy-go-lucky, materially prosperous lives just because we are faithful in obedience. Now, there are a lot of churches and a lot of people on television that you will hear say the exact opposite. That if you just do X, Y, and Z, then you will have the most blessed, materially rich. You'll be riding in private corporate jets. You'll have healthy kids. You'll have no problems. My friends, that's just not true. And yet I think we fall into that mentality a good bit. We feel like we've put God in debt to us. God, don't you know what I've been doing for you? And now you bring this into my life? This morning I want to explore that tension and talk about how we're to deal with that. You'll remember from our series in Exodus that God has sent Moses and his brother Aaron to free his people, the Israelites, out of slavery out of slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, and they, where they've been living for 400 years. And at the end of last week, we saw how Moses and Aaron showed up, and they did the signs and wonders before the elders of Israel and, and the people of Israel. They told them all the words that God had commanded them to. And things went well. In fact, our text last week ended with everyone believing, bowing down, and worshiping God. Can you imagine how these people must have felt? Year after year, month after month, generation after generation, century after century, they had been slaving away. And now, their God had heard their afflictions, and He was going to free them. And so soon afterwards, Moses and Aaron, and possibly the Israelite elders, they were supposed to go, though it's not recorded here, they go to Pharaoh. And somehow God paves a way for these Hebrew slaves to get an audience with the king of the only superpower in the world at that time, Pharaoh. You know, you couldn't just walk up to Pharaoh, right? But the Lord paved the way. And they tell Pharaoh that God has appeared to them and demands that Pharaoh let his people go. Now, we've, we've sung the songs, Let My People Go in VBS. We've, we've, uh, we, we've heard this story so many times. But let's think about what actually Moses and Aaron are demanding. This is a big deal. There are 603,550 
males over the age of 20, excluding the tribe of Levi and all their children and their wives and all the clingers on, and their free labor for Pharaoh. And Moses and Aaron waltz up and said, let them go, Pharaoh. There would have been a great cost here, right? This was the labor force that Pharaoh was using to build his great cities and these magnificent building projects. And to just say, let them go, there would have been a great cost. In 1833, the British Empire freed their slaves long before we did, before we had the courage to. Long before the 13th Amendment was uh, passed, abolishing slavery in our country, the British Empire freed all their slaves, about 800,000 of them. Now here's the thing, it costs the British Empire a lot of money. They didn't just free them like we did, they redeemed them. They paid for the slaves to the tune of almost half of the income for the entire British Empire. It almost bankrupted the British Empire for freeing their slaves. There was a cost. And suddenly we're gone. All of the free labor was the right choice, of course. I don't mean to say it wasn't. Praise God it happened. There would have been a great cost for Pharaoh, who was not a God-fearer, to suddenly let all of these slaves go. God calls us sometimes to do bold things, just like he called Moses and Aaron to have courageous faith before Pharaoh to tell them, let my people go. You know, all those free, free workers you have, let them go. Moses and Aaron obey. But Pharaoh does not. Pharaoh does not. In fact, the obedience of Moses and Aaron is sharply contrasted here with the disobedience of Pharaoh. Look at verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And why would Pharaoh let them go? Think about it. In in their world and time, didn't didn't this automatically mean since the uh, Israelites were enslaved in Egypt that the Egyptian gods were more powerful than the God of, of Israel? Isn't that what that meant? One of the great themes of Exodus is God showing exactly that that's not true. He's going to display before all the world his triumph over the Egyptian gods. Well, Pharaoh disobeyed. And he continues in unbelief. Have you ever had something backfire? Surely, right? I mean, we've all had things backfire, sometimes royally. (laughs) And you try to do what's right. You try to deal with conflict well, or you try to seek counsel and seek the Lord, and you you have a clean conscience, and then just drama ensues. Uh, Hardships come. Well... This backfires. From a fleshy perspective, this backfires. It's all according to God's plan. We'll get to that part. What does Pharaoh do? Instead of making things easier or freeing God's people, he makes them hard, makes things harder for them. All the straw that they needed. You had to have straw in bricks in order for a brick to be good and strong. If you had a brick without straw in it, it would crumble and the building would collapse. You had to have straw. And so he says, you know, the same quota that you have had to produce... All of these years, you're still going to have to produce that. But we've been giving you all this straw, and we've had a lot of folks employed giving you that straw. Now you have to find your own straw and still give me the same number of bricks. We were on a mission trip once where they had this cool machine. You put mud in on one side and out popped a brick. It was really cool. 
They didn't let any of the young folks get near it. You put, a, you put a mud in on one side and out came a brick. Mud, brick, mud, brick, all day long. That's not how it worked back then. Brick making was so laborious, was so dirty, was so awful that really only slaves did it. First of all, when they were building a, a brick um, factory, whatever you call these things, you would first build the wall, six, eight, ten feet high, to keep poachers out, but more importantly, the slaves in. And the dirt and the the red clay dust would be everywhere, darkening the sun. And when that dust gets on your skin, it it packs in and it sucks the moisture right out of your skin to the point where your skin will crack and break open. And you have open sores on all these slaves walking around the dust getting into those open sores and making it worse. The heat of the kiln would often kill those who were in charge of stoking the fire. Children would be employed to move the the wet blocks of clay over somewhere else to let them dry before others had the hazardous duty of carrying them into the kiln. This was a terrible thing to do. And you can imagine when Moses and Aaron showed up and said, we're going to free you, God has heard your affliction, is going to bring you freedom, they would have been pretty excited. But then the cost of Moses' and Aaron's and the people of Israel, the cost of their obedience was what? Things got worse instead of better. Sometimes when we obey God, it doesn't make our life easier. Now there are great blessings, fantastic blessings when we obey God. They don't always look like what we want them to. We don't always have the easy life. We don't always have the life of ease. Perhaps you have tried to deal with conflict in a biblical way with a friend or family member only to have it blow up in your face. Perhaps you've taken the ethical stand at work that costs you favor with the boss or perhaps your promotion. Perhaps you've done all the work on a special project at work only to have someone take all the credit. Perhaps at school you've taken a stand against certain activities only to have it cost you your friends. What happens when the cost of obeying God is loneliness, drama, disfavor, and hardship? We have to be honest. Sometimes it is. The first thing to remember is that you are not alone. Where was God in all the midst of us? He was right there with Moses and Aaron. He was right there with the taskmasters who were beating, or he was with all the foremen who were being beaten by the taskmasters. He was there in all the midst of every one of those brick factories, of all those who are suffering. We have only to look at our Savior to see the cost of obedience. Whereas we have some sin mingled in with our obedience... Our Savior did not. Christ walked this earth and fully obeyed God's law for us at every step of His life. Where we have disobeyed, He has obeyed. Where we have fallen, He stayed strong. Where we have faltered, He endured. Where we have failed, He succeeded. Where we we have hated, He has loved. Where we have sinned, He remained pure. And what did they do to Him? They killed Him. This one who had not a fault in him, the one who was completely pure and no guilt was in him, they killed him and he went voluntarily for a purpose that our sins might be forgiven. He paid the cost of our disobedience by his obedience. 
And so we shouldn't be surprised when, according to John 15, 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 2 Timothy 3, 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what happens when our lives are upside down, even when we're seeking to obey? Even when it feels unfair, you know that feeling, right? You know that we don't want God to deal in fairness because it would be fair to send us to hell. But we still feel that tension in our lives, just like Moses will ask, why did you even send me? What do we do when that happens in our lives? We have a lot of positive and negative examples in our text. The first is turn to God, not to Pharaoh. There are two groups of people in this text who turn to God. The first are those um, foremen, those Hebrew foremen who work between the Egyptian taskmasters and the Hebrew slaves. And where did they go when things got tough? Verse 15 says they went to Pharaoh. The same word that is used to describe in chapter 1 that God's people cried out to the Lord, it's the same word that is used here of these foremen. They cried out to Pharaoh, Pharaoh the one who had made all things terrible for them. They went looking at all the wrong places for help. So often we turn to Pharaoh, don't we? So often we turn to the things that that have enslaved us in the past. So So often we turn to things that we know won't help us. They might satiate our problem for a moment. But we've got to stop turning to Pharaoh. We've got to start turning to God. So often we turn to old patterns of sin, murmuring instead of praying, gossiping instead of getting counsel. And sometimes we give ourselves permission to indulge, don't we, when things are bad? I do this with food. Uh, When I've had a bad day, I go to Popeye's. It's a wonderful place, Popeyes. Their box with uh, a thigh and a, or a drumstick and a, and a breast. You have to get that special ordered. And then you get the uh, red beans and rice with the special ranch sauce that you pour on top of it with your biscuit with honey. My friends, that's a good place. I give myself permission to indulge. But there are a lot of things worse than Popeyes, right, that we so often look to. It's okay this one time. Don't you know what I've been through? We turn to Pharaoh, the things that enslave us, instead of turning to God. So the foreman cried out to Pharaoh, but Moses turned turned to God. Now here's the thing, his prayer, there are a lot of problems with it. His emotions are are raw. You know, there are some things we're going to point out that are unhelpful here. But but to whom does he run? He runs to God. God can handle your bad theology. God can handle your anger. God can handle when you don't know what to do. You run to God, not Pharaoh, and and the rest will take care of itself. And he runs to God, and we'll see God's response next week, which is very gracious. He runs to God and not to Pharaoh. We're going to look at this Wednesday night, by the way, when we look at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We're looking at the petition which reads, Give us this day our daily bread. We run to God for things not just for our food, but for everything we need. But how often do we run to tell others of our our need for daily bread instead of running to the Lord? Well, another thing we have to remember is that we need to remember God's word and promises. Here's the thing. There's so much tension in this text from the fact that no one seemed to remember everything that God told him. Do you remember back in 421 we looked at last week? The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart 
so that he will not let, let the people go. What did they expect was going to happen? This isn't going to work, Moses. I'm going to make sure it doesn't. How ecstatic and how jazzed they were to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And then he said, no. And then they forgot what God had said next. This wasn't going to work. God was going to do something a lot greater than just some parlor tricks. They aren't parlor tricks. I don't want to speak ill of God's signs. But, but they're small signs he gives first, right? The snake and the leper's hand and the water into blood. Those are important things. But how much greater are the ten plagues? He's going to show for everybody to see that God is God and the Egyptian gods are not. And yet they forgot. That's why everything's gone wrong. How much more so in our lives do we forget that we have the wrong expectations? That we expect that God will give us a perfect life with no problems. Well, that's not what He promises us. John 16, in this world you will have an easy free life. No, that's not what it says. Tribulation. In this life you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Philippians 1.29 This one's uncomfortable. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Acts 14.22 We must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So what do we do? What do we do? When life seems unfair, when we struggle, when we are obeying and God isn't giving us the life we want, we run to God, not Pharaoh. We remember His Word and check our expectations. Is this really what God has told me life is going to be like? But then we walk by faith and not by sight. We look to heaven, for that's the place where everything's going to be okay. That's the place with no hunger or no need, with our emotionally stable families, with things going on okay all the time, with perfect health and no conflict. That's the place where we get to see our Savior. And these slight momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is what He's doing for you, my brothers and sisters. So we don't look to the things that are seen, for they are transient. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we look to the things that are unseen, for they are eternal. Well, things looked pretty bad in Egypt. And they had gone from bad to worse. But God had a plan. He has a plan for you too. And His plan is a good one. That just like the Israelites would one day enter the promised land, We too. Because just like in 1833, the British Empire freed all their slaves at great cost, my friends, we have been freed from a greater slavery, a second and better exodus. Not from the Romans or the Egyptians, but from the guilt and power of sin. And while it might have cost half of the treasury of the British Empire in 1833, it cost you... God, His Son, cost our Son His life so that we might be saved. But this He freely offers to you. It was costly to Him, free to you, that you can be led out of the land of dominion of sin, for He has redeemed you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for the the greater and second exodus where...
our Savior died on the cross paying for our sin and being raised on the third day, showing to all the world that the grave had no power and dominion over Him. Thank You that You did not leave Your anointed to corruption, that You have saved us through His resurrection. pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.